Support for this podcast is provided by Avalara. Since 2004, Avalara's vision has been to harness the power of cloud technology to help simplify sales tax for businesses of all sizes. Avalara solutions are designed to affordably scale with businesses as they grow over time. Tax compliance is not a revenue-generating activity, so Avalara's technology is designed to help you manage tax compliance as efficiently and accurately as possible, so you can reclaim your valuable time and reduce risk in your business. Avalara automatically integrates with more than 700 ERP, e-commerce, mobile payment, and point-of-sale systems, likely the systems you use today. Find out how your business can be sales tax ready at avalara.com slash tax notes. That's avalara.com slash tax notes. Avalara, tax compliance done right. Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. A quick note before we begin. As many of you are these days, the Tax Notes Talk team is doing its work remotely. And while we're doing what we can to bring you the best quality sound, sometimes, as happened this week, it's not quite to our normal standard. But it's still a great interview. Thank you for your patience, and we hope you're staying healthy out there. And with that, this week, tax break. Lauren Pons is no stranger to change and challenge. Her tax career charts from Georgetown to Germany, back to Washington, D.C., where she's now a member at the firm Miller & Chevalier. Here to talk more about Lauren and her unique career is Tax Notes contributing editor Nana Amasarfo. Ama, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me back. Could you tell us a bit about Lauren and what you both talked about? So Lauren is an international tax attorney who currently is a member at Miller & Chevalier, as you said, and her career is really inspirational because she hasn't been afraid to take risks and bet on herself, even in moments when people doubted her. And that approach has led her to do some really interesting and prestigious things. Amongst them, she helped write tax reform. She was majority tax counsel for the House Ways and Means Committee, and she helped draft the international provisions of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So we talked about her career journey, the importance of being open to non-traditional opportunities. We also talked about mentorship and sponsorship and her advice for young tax lawyers. And luckily, she also shared with me what it was like to write tax reform, and she also talked about some of the international tax issues she is watching. Great. The following interview is part of a crossover episode with Miller & Chevalier's podcast, Tax Break, where Lauren is a host. Let's go to that interview. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Lauren. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Now, we recently profiled you in Tax Notes, and one of the things that I love about your story is that you very much followed your own path. And a profession, tax law, that can be pretty rote. You know, the idea is that after you graduate law school or graduate from a tax LLM program, you're supposed to go to a law firm or accounting firm. You're supposed to go into the government. But you said, nope, I'm not ready for that just yet. I'm going to go in a different direction. So can you tell us a little bit about your career journey, why you decided to focus on tax after law school? and the very different roles that you've held as a tax lawyer. Sure. So I chose tax because I I liked it. I found it challenging. I liked kind of a code-based approach to problem solving. I liked that there was generally an answer, but there was a lot of creativity. There is a lot of creativity in tax. And so that really appealed to me. I had really no idea what I was going to do when I came to law school. I thought maybe international trade, 
I was a French major in undergrad. So something with some kind of international component was attractive. And then I took federal personal income tax, the tax one, and really found my passion and kept on with tax courses throughout law school. And I ended up actually getting an LLM three years after I graduated. So that was my kind of beginning of my interest in tax. I think when, you know, looking at career paths, some of it was out of necessity. (laughs) And so I graduated from law school right after 9-11. And so the job market was a little shaky and things kind of weren't going to plan. The IRS's chief counsel's office honors program had been kind of suspended for the year that I was coming out. And so I had to be a little bit more creative. So I ended up clerking for a year here in DC. And then I went to the 11th circuit and was a staff attorney and then came back to begin my LLM program. So the experience that I got at the beginning was certainly valuable and useful. It wasn't tax focused, but they were both great opportunities and really helped me develop essential skills as a lawyer, particularly with regard to writing, which is what we did most of the time, (laughs) all of the time at the staff attorney's office. That was my job. So both were very, very important to foundational development. So I went back and got my LLM. And then I was graduating and I kind of had been kicking around the idea of being a professor, becoming a law professor. I needed to write a job talk paper and explore some policy ideas. What can I do where I can earn a living doing that and further my goals of perhaps pursuing a path down academia? And so I started looking at fellowships. So I went abroad and going abroad to Germany. I worked at the University of Hamburg. I worked on my papers that I planned to shop. But then, you know, in the course of that two-year process, really decided that law professor was not the path that I wanted to take right then. I think tax is special and it helps to have practiced, at least for me. I wanted to get some on the ground experience first. Even though I liked policy issues and discussing policy, I wanted to really delve into the practicalities of of actually solving problems for taxpayers. And so as part of the time that I was at Hamburg, I was invited to go to the OECD for a few months as a trainee. That was great. It was wonderful and really was kind of a unique experience in that a lot of people don't get to do that, especially not that early in their career. I was pretty young, but it was wonderful. And so I ended up leaving, you know, my my fellowship ended, left Hamburg and came back, started working for Ernst & Young's National Tax Office here in DC and stayed there for eight years and really wasn't looking to leave. (laughs) And someone suggested that I apply to work at Ways and Means as a tax counsel. This was in the spring of 2017. So the talk around tax reform was heating up. And I thought, oh, this is a total long shot. You know, I'll apply and see what happens. And the committee ended up hiring me. So that was wonderful. Another (laughs) wonderful experience. And I did that for not that long, a year and a half. I joined in April of 17 and left the end of September of 18 and joined Miller. That's where I am today. So that's kind of a condensed version of, you know, the last, I'm not going to say how many years. (laughs) The time has flown. It doesn't feel like it's been that long. (laughs) Well, that's really wonderful. I mean, you've packed so many experiences into your career. 
And I know that you had mentioned in the article that a few important things about mentorship and sponsorship. And first is that mentors don't have to be in your life for a long time. And the second thing is that small little pushes along the way in the right direction from people that you know well, or even from acquaintances can be really important and get you to where you need to be. So for younger professionals who are building their professional lives and professional relationships, what recommendations do you have for them for finding or attracting these kinds of micro sponsors or micro mentors? I think, you know, I have been extremely fortunate in that I've had some great people along the way who've helped me, as you said, for a long time or for a little while. And I think everyone has those people in their career. What I would tell young people is that there's, you know, what I look for in people who are attractive and that they show promise and talent and I want to help them and help nurture them and and see them as they go through their career, either long-term or short-term. I look for the things that make a successful lawyer, you know, it's not necessarily your credentials or your GPA, but it's what are you doing with the degree that you've earned. So hard work or perseverance in tax, especially learning the fundamentals, the mechanics, the basics that make you a good lawyer, a good tax lawyer, writing, communication. So those things are hard to kind of quantify and it's hard to say what you can do to get better at it other than keep working and and keep trying to become better. I do think that it's daunting when you're starting out, you're thinking about all the things you want to do in the career path you would like to take. But sometimes I think there's a lot of value. A lot of the times there's a lot of value in just being where you are. You know, (laughs) they say grow where you're planted. And so it may not be where you thought you would end up or where you would like to end up. And it's not, you know, most people do not keep the same job for their entire career. So look at every opportunity as an opportunity for growth and, and to get better. And I think you will attract the kind of mentors you would like to have when you're doing that. I love that you brought up that idea of unexpected journeys, because one consistent thread in your career is that people have tapped you for important jobs that you weren't necessarily seeking. For example, shortly after you joined EY, you were selected to become the Global Transfer Pricing Operations Manager. And then when lawmakers decided to pursue tax reform and acquaintance thought that you would be a valuable addition to the process. And, you know, that's how you wound up on Capitol Hill. So what skills have you sought to acquire and perfect over the years that you think made you attractive for those kinds of roles? I think, you know, what I did was is similar to what I described before with regard to attracting mentors. I really do think that the best thing that do is try to be very good at what we're doing currently, you know, and so these opportunities came to me, I would hope because I attracted the attention of people with whom I work. And so, you know, I have to say that going to Dusseldorf as the transfer pricing operations manager was a little bit of preparation meets small amount of lobbying on my part. Uh, when I joined EY, I knew that there was a decent chance that I could go abroad again. So, you know, I did not hesitate to make it known that I was willing and able to go abroad again with EY. So that was a little bit of, you know, it was fortuitous and that it happened. And I didn't think it was going to happen two years into working with the firm, but it did. And so I went, but I do like to think that, you know, and this is what I try to do 
in my career and have always tried to do is just do the job that I have very well. And then, you know, that has led to other jobs, but it's hard to say, you know, everyone has goals and and priorities. And so you have to keep those in mind, but it's also important not to get so caught up on the future that you're not handling the present. So, you know, do the job that you have, do it well, (laughs) and, and things will, things will come to you. I love that. Support for this podcast is provided by the University of California, Irvine School of Law Graduate Tax Program. If you're hearing this, you're clearly interested in taxes, and you might benefit from checking out our sponsor, or you might know someone who will. The UC Irvine Law School offers a one-year, full-time program that's been ranked the number one graduate tax program on the West Coast. Students can expect a unique academic experience that combines in-depth doctrinal work and practical perspective to prepare students for successful careers in tax law. The small student-to-faculty ratio also ensures that students get the attention they need to succeed. Applications are open now. For non-U.S. applications, the deadline is April 1st, 2021. For U.S.-based students, the deadline is July 1st. To apply today, visit law.uci.edu slash gradtax. That's law.uci.edu slash gradtax. Now, moving on to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, you helped draft the international provisions. Can you walk us through some of the high-level goals and objectives that you and the team had in mind when you were starting to write the tax reform package? Sure. So, you know, the the overarching theme in the international space moving to territorial regime from worldwide taxation, which is what we had pre-2017, and you know, lowering the corporate tax rate and as a corollary to a transition to a more territorial system. We also had to be thinking about some anti-base erosion measures. So tools in place to prevent businesses being able to take complete advantage of territoriality such that they earned all of their income abroad where they would not be subject to U.S. tax. The purest form of territoriality. Some will say what we ended up with hybrid version of territoriality. So those were the the big things that that we were, we were focused on. You know, before tax reform, there was a complaint that U.S. multinationals not nearly as competitive as their counterparts abroad because of, you know, not only our high domestic corporate tax rate, but also the fact that they were subject to worldwide taxation. So taxation at home, as well as subpart F income that they generated overseas and their foreign counterparts are not subject to the same rules. So they had territoriality in their resident jurisdictions and would pay tax in the U.S., but that was it. So those were the big policy drivers for for making. Now, what were some challenges that you and the rest of the team faced when you were drafting the TCJA and that you had to overcome in the drafting process? I think, you know, it's difficult to kind of overlay this regime with what was already existing in the code, things that weren't repealed. So that was a constant concern when we were going through. And of course, you know, it's imperative that during a process when we had this, you have feedback. And so a lot of the conversations were making sure things worked and also evaluating feedback that we got. So once the draft was released, in committee, HR1, we started getting immediate feedback from taxpayers. And so processing that in real time was quite a challenge, but it was totally worth it. It's it's a part of the process. It's something you can't ignore, but it, it is challenging. 
I can imagine. So when you look back at that period, overall, what was most memorable for you? What was most memorable, what I loved was how collaborative the process was. And so, you know, we, my own tax writing group within Ways and Means, we were very collaborative. We had a great working relationship as as tax counsel and tax advisors. But we also did a lot of work with finance, with joint committee, with folks at Treasury. And it was really a great experience for me because you're sitting around, you know, you're, you're thinking of, of policy, tax policy and implementing tax policy. And you're in the room with people who love tax as much as you do, who are extremely bright and, you know, it's your every day. So it is a complete luxury. And then working with House Legislative Council to actually draft what we were thinking, take specs and turn them into the language. It's an amazing thing to see. They're extremely talented. So it was just, it was a luxury to be able to do this kind of work with the people uh, I was doing it with and, and end up with, with a product, you know, <laughs> people, I think whenever you do some kind of major legislation, there are always things you could have done better or you could have done differently, but hindsight is twenty twenty, And in the process, it was really, it was wonderful. I miss it. I can imagine. And and I mean, definitely kudos to all of you for undertaking such a Herculean task and getting us this new regime. It was a lot. It was a lot. But I mean, we have to also give, you know, due respect to efforts that were made before we ever got there. So there were drafts that were in existence. There were proposals in various administrations, green books, talking about the minimum tax and anti-base erosion measures and things like that. And so I have said before, and I will continue to say that any kind of tax reform is an process. And so it will keep changing, keep evolving. And we benefited from the work of many who came before us. So now that you're on the other side, what international tax developments have you been most excited about lately? I'm excited to see what comes next. We have a new administration coming in in January. On the campaign trail, President-elect Biden had some very discreet ideas about things he wanted to change, especially in the international space. So I'm curious to see what can be effectuated, whether it's going to be through legislation or regulatory and administrative action. Change will keep coming. (laughs) And so it'll be good to see. I'm also excited to see what happens with the OECD's digital project. Will we actually have some kind of inclusive framework consent by July of 2021? whether there's going to be a phased implementation. You know, Pillar 2 still has some major work in terms of defining the scope and and the contours. So I'm excited to see where that work goes. And then what implications it will have for domestic tax policy. What does that mean for the U.S.? Will we have to change things? Things go as planned, yes. So that's long range. There's plenty happening. Absolutely. I think 2021 could potentially be a pretty big year. Now, moving away from that, the past few months have been pretty challenging for the legal profession due to COVID-19 and economic lockdowns. And this time has also been particularly challenging for young lawyers who are trying to find their path in the profession. So I'm interested in hearing what advice you can share for new lawyers and soon-to-be graduates who are facing uncertainty in the market? I think it's important to, one, not, not buy into 
kind of disastrous thinking, <laughs> you will be okay. And to remember where you start is not necessarily where you will end up. Focus on gathering experience. It's going to help you become a very good lawyer. So, you know, anything that can help you strengthen your writing skills, oral advocacy, they're all valuable experiences. It's a little bit more difficult and maybe things aren't as traditional as, as people, you know, might have anticipated with regard to recruiting and that sort of thing. But there are jobs to be had. And I don't think the legal market on the whole is doing as badly as some might have anticipated back in March. And so there are opportunities out there, but, you know, it might take a little bit more creativity and, and perseverance, but they will be able to start. They'll be able to get a good start, a good footing and, and move on from there. Really, really great advice. So we know creativity, perseverance, and patience. Now to close, can you tell us, when you take a step back, you know, and look at all that you have done and you've accomplished, what would you say has been the most rewarding part of your career? Oh, I don't know if there's any one part. I really like the path that I've taken. So, you know, I don't, one, I'm nowhere near retirement, so it's not over. <laughs> but two, I like the way that it looks, you know, when I look back, I take a step back and look at my career as a whole. I like that I didn't do everything the way that everyone else did it. And it hasn't hurt me. So, you know, take some risks and do what works. You know, everybody has different appetite for risk, but I do think it pays off to think differently. Really, really wonderful advice, Lauren. And it's a pleasure to speak with you as always. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and for being so generous with your advice. Hopefully we will talk with you soon. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And a programming note, this interview is also being posted to the Tax Break podcast. You can find Miller and Chevalier's Tax Break wherever you download podcasts. And now, coming attractions. Each week we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now from her home is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief Faye McRae. Faye, what will you have for us? Thank you, Dave. We're going to take a break from the usual this episode to discuss writing for tax notes. We've received quite a few inquiries about how to publish in our pages, so we'll be sharing some insider tips on how to join the ranks of our esteemed authors here at Tax Notes. Each week, we'll feature an interview with the top commentary editors of Tax Notes Federal, State, and International. This week, I chatted with Tax Notes Federal editor in chief Ariel Greenblum. Ariel, why don't you tell us what led you to join Tax Analyst and a little about your journey to Editor-in-Chief? I came to Tax Notes through a former reporter here, the esteemed Amy Elliott, and I met her a couple of times, and she seemed like a nice enough human being. So I thought maybe I could join her ranks, and I've been here about eight years now. I started on the tax notes today, federal side, and when I started a family, came on over to tax notes federal. That was going to be a little bit better of a schedule for me. Thank you so much for that. As you know, our mission at TA is to shed light on tax policy and administration through aggressive, unbiased reporting and informed commentary from leaders in the tax field. In your opinion, what do you see as our responsibility or role in the tax community? I see as our role in the tax community explaining really complicated laws and not just explaining them on a surfacey kind of level, but really providing context, providing history, providing implications, 
like what does something mean for capital gains? What does it mean for your company's debt or your personal debt? That's my favorite part of the job. When I read an article that doesn't just point to a code section or a regulation, anybody can do that. But our favorite articles are when they tell implications, they give examples. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Now, there are so many places that you can publish. Why tax notes? Why here? Why now? We are the number one place for publishing commentary analysis on a weekly basis when it comes to tax law. And we have quite the readership, all the big law firms, you know, all the big accounting firms, many, many Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies subscribe to us. And our reach is only growing. I mean, we have a podcast, you know, we have a great social media presence. We're a relatively small company, but we're mighty and we're quick on our feet and we will work with authors to get their pieces seen to the maximum number of eyes. And you just don't get that kind of individual attention from other publications. Thank you so much, Ariel. You can learn more about writing for Tax Notes by visiting taxnotes.com slash acquisitions. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Tax Analyst, for more in-depth discussions on what's new and noteworthy in our magazines. Again, that's Tax Analyst with an S. Back to you, Dave. That's it for this week. You can follow me online at TaxDo, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at TaxNotes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com slash podcast. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. Support for this podcast is provided by the D.C. Bar. The D.C. Bar is among the largest unified bars in the United States. Register now for its highly anticipated Tax Legislative and Regulatory Update Conference on January 13th and 14th, 2021. Engage in sessions on hot topics like legislative and regulatory updates, corporate, partnership, and individual taxation, tax-exempt reforms, international tax, tax planning, and compensation and benefit issues. Speakers include high-profile government officials from Treasury and the IRS, and staff of the House Ways and Means Committee, Senate Committee on Finance, and Joint Committee on Taxation, in addition to private sector experts. The conference is virtual and open to all, so you can attend from anywhere. DC Bar membership is not required to attend. Visit dcbar.org to register today. That's dcbar.org. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.